think about kings and kingdoms much. Uh, I mean, Australia has a king, but he lives a long way away. Um, our elected elders are, well, they're not kings, are they? They're just regular people and, you know, we vote them into a job and when we don't like them anymore, we vote them out of a job and then they're kind of regular people again. Um, our laws are made by our parliament. They're made by like a group of people. You know, we don't have one person going, you know, this is the law, this is the way it will be. So most of us don't get too excited when we talk about a king. Unless I start talking about Elvis Presley, then there are some people... See, that's right. You get... <coughs> this is the point. We get more excited about Elvis Presley than the actual king, right? This is, this is sort of the way... He's still alive, that's right. <coughs> Jesus grew up in a time where kings ruled. Jesus grew up in a time where everyone was part of a kingdom. Nations didn't have borders on a map like they do today. Kingdoms fought. And if your kingdom won, uh, the kingdom got bigger and expanded. And if your kingdom lost, the kingdom got smaller. And sometimes kingdoms disappeared altogether. God's people remembered the day. In Jesus' time, God's people remembered the day, which was ancient history for them, when they were part of a powerful kingdom. When they had a, a powerful king, they, they remembered, they were stole, told stories as kids of King David and what it was like when, when Israel was a powerful nation or when they had a powerful king. But that kingdom didn't last. It was a distant memory in the time of Jesus. The Assyrians conquered the kingdom and then the Babylonians conquered the kingdom and then the Persians conquered the Babylonians and by the time that Jesus was alive the Roman Empire had conquered everything. But God's people dreamed of a day when God would remake their kingdom. When God would send a new king, someone, someone like King David, a new version of King David, who would re-establish them as a powerful nation, as a powerful kingdom on earth. 160 years before Jesus was born, Daniel had a vision. The God of heaven, he wrote this down, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Goes on, he says, it will crush all the kingdoms, all the other kingdoms around it, it will crush all those kingdoms and it will bring an end and it will bring them to an end. But it will itself never end. That's Daniel 2.24. 520 years before Jesus, uh, prophet Zechariah wrote this, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. Daniel had another vision that God gave him. Uh, Daniel 7.13 In my vision in the night I continued to watch and I saw one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days which was a word for God. He approached God and he was led into his presence and he was given dominion. That's kind of an old word that means sort of, you know, power and control. He was given dominion and glory and kingship and the people of every nation and every language served him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. 
Jesus didn't look much like a king. He didn't act like a king. He never built an army. He never raised a sword. He never spoke out against the occupying Roman Empire. He never sort of gathered people up and said, let's fight. But Mark says that Jesus' opening address to people, as a young man of around 30 years of age, his, sort of, his first public address went like this. Jesus went into Galilee, which is the area that he lived in. He went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, saying, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. When Matthew and Luke wrote a biography of Jesus' life, they said the same thing about Jesus' opening public words. Jesus announces that he's come to set up a new kingdom. But it wasn't a kingdom like people were expecting. People were expecting swords and spears and chariots and horses. People were expecting a warrior to come in and, and kind of take on the Roman Empire and wipe them out and you know plant the flag and re-establish the nation. Jesus would say in John chapter 18, verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. Years later, Paul would write that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's Romans 14, 17. Paul's saying that the kingdom of God, this, this kingdom that, that Jesus came to establish, it's not about sort of earthly things. That's what eating and drinking means. It, it's not about that sort of stuff. It's about spiritual things. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Things that you can't kind of... You know, you can't see, you, you can't sort of put your fingers on, not, not like food or drink. This is something spiritual, this kingdom. Jesus talked about a kingdom that has no borders. He talked about a kingdom where soldiers don't carry swords and guns. The war cry of this kingdom isn't down with our enemies. The war cry of this kingdom is love your enemies. Like any kingdom, this, this kingdom has a king, but it's not one who's crowned in war and lifted up on a throne. It's one who's crowned with thorns and lifted up on a cross. The citizens of this kingdom are loyal to their king. Jesus said, Luke 16, 13, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. Actually, have you ever heard that phrase? People still use it sometimes when they say, Jesus is Lord. You ever heard that? that that's a very old phrase. That, that, that phrase, that statement was uh, sort of first used in, in the years very soon after the death of Jesus. It's a statement that's literally thousands of years old. And, and it comes from a statement that the Roman Empire used when they would force people to say, Caesar is Lord. They would force you to say that to sort of remind you that you were under Roman rule and Roman occupation. In fact, if you refuse to say that Caesar is Lord, if you refuse to recognise Caesar is Lord, you, you could be arrested, you could be persecuted. There are stories of people actually being killed for refusing to say Jesus is uh, for refusing to say Caesar is Lord. And so the early Christians took that phrase and they twisted it. 
They took that phrase, Caesar is Lord, and they twisted it and they would say, Jesus is Lord. As a kind of way to say, you know what, our king isn't Caesar. Our king isn't the emperor. Our king is Jesus. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. So what exactly is this kingdom? The kingdom of God describes the rule of God on earth. It it describes the rule of heaven coming to earth. It's, It's describing a world or a kingdom that works according to God's rules. It's like it's a world within a world or a kingdom within a kingdom. It's a world or a kingdom that works the way that God wants things to work. It actually works the way that God always intended everything to work. And when Jesus comes to earth, his opening message is, I have come to bring a new kingdom. Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. And Jesus' life and death and his resurrection opens the way for ordinary people like you and me to become part of this new kingdom. Jesus says, when you say yes to him, it's like you are born, you are reborn into this new kingdom. Jesus explains it this way, John 3, uh, verse 3. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. He goes on in verse 5 to say, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the spirit. So to say you were born of water, that's your natural birth, right? If you've ever seen the natural birth, there's a lot of, you know, liquid, a lot of water around, right? That's, that's, the way, that's the way they understood it in Jesus' time. That's the way they understood in Jesus' time that that's what it was to be born of water. But Jesus is saying there's another birth, there's, there's like a rebirth, there's a second birth where you are born, not naturally, not born of water, but born of the Spirit. And you're born into the kingdom of God. You still live in Australia. You still follow the laws of the country and you still support and follow our government. But at the same time, you become a citizen of the kingdom of God. And you live by a different standard, by a different set of expectations. The kingdom of God is a whole new way of seeing the world. And we're at the beginning of a series where over the next few weeks we're going to look at what it is to see the world through the eyes of the kingdom of God. And we're going to call this series Upside Down World because the reality is that so much of what it is to live in the kingdom seems completely upside down from the way the world works. You see, in this kingdom people love their enemies. In this kingdom the way to be first is to be last. In this kingdom, the way to be great is to be a servant, Jesus says. In this kingdom, the way to be rich is to give stuff away. This kingdom is an invitation or a choice. Jesus, in his grace, doesn't force anyone, doesn't drag anyone, doesn't, you know, this isn't the kind of kingdom... Uh, that happened in Jesus' time where people came along with swords and clubs and said, you're in the kingdom or else. It's an invitation or a choice. 
Jesus' death and his resurrection opens the way for people to enter into this kingdom. But his followers, but people must decide if this is the way that they want to live. They must decide if this is, if this is the sort of path that they want to walk. Jesus teaches about the kingdom in this way. We're going to spend the next few weeks all in so homework. Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. If you want, go home and read that and you'll be, you'll be ahead of the class, right? Um, in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus is teaching about the kingdom, he says this. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the life. Uh, small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. It's an intentional choice to enter into the kingdom of God. And ultimately, the kingdom of God is a lifestyle. And we're going to talk a lot about this in the coming weeks. It's a way of living and of acting and of speaking. The kingdom of God isn't just something you believe in. It's not just something that you think about. It's not a Sunday morning in church thing. Everything that Jesus says about the kingdom of God is about how we live out there in our lives. In fact, at no point does Jesus talk about the kingdom of God as something inside church. He's always talking about the way that we live in our families, the way that we're in our workplaces, in our neighbourhoods, you know, sort of his version of the way that we would play sport, all of those sorts of things. Saying yes to the kingdom of God is deciding that you're going to live a different way. Deciding that you're going to live by, if you like, a different set of rules, a different standard. This kingdom is going to affect everything that you do. Because ultimately, Jesus didn't arrive on earth and say, I'm here to start a Sunday morning thing. (laughs) He He didn't actually even arrive on earth and say, I'm here to give you something new to believe in. I've got a new idea that you can sign up to. He didn't even arrive on earth and say, I'm here to answer your prayers and give you a great life. The first thing that Jesus says when he arrives kind of publicly is, I've got, new, I've got good news. The kingdom of God is near. And I say this sort of thing all the time, but our dream at Tide is that we would become people of this kingdom. Our dream is that that you would and I would and, and us sort of collectively that we would say yes to Jesus' invitation to this new way of living, to this world within a world, to this kingdom within a kingdom. That we would say yes to that in our own lives and we would be part of sharing that, spreading that kingdom across the world. You know, when Jesus grabbed uh, his followers, his disciples around him, at one point they stop him and they say, hey, We see that you go off and pray, and you're really close with God. Can you tell us, how should we pray? Can you teach us? Teach us, Jesus, how we should pray. Everyone's got ideas on prayer. What are your ideas on prayer? And Jesus teaches them a short prayer, which most people think is, is sort of an outline for the way that we should pray. And in the middle of that prayer, he teaches them this. He says, when you pray, pray to God and say, God, Your kingdom come. 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, pray for this kingdom. Pray that it will come. Pray that it will come more. Pray that it will come wider. Pray for the spread and the expanse of the kingdom of God, that more and more earth will look like and act like and be like heaven. We're going to spend the next few weeks exploring this kingdom. What does it look like? How does it work? And of course, most importantly, how does it affect our lives? What do we do with it? Not here on a Sunday morning, but what do we do with it when you go to school? What do we do with it when you go to uni? What do we do with it when you go back to your home and to your family and to your workplace and on the weekend and all of those sorts of things? Our dream is that this series will open our minds. Our dream is that this series will sort of encourage our hearts, will grow our hearts and ultimately will challenge the way that we live. Mm.